Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, maybe the whole TikTok kabuki theater is reaching an endpoint. Salesforce thinks the whole concept of the 9 to 5 workday is at an endpoint. More smoke around the Apple goggles fire. Why you need to get hip to the concept of non-fungible tokens and why cops have gotten hip to playing sublime songs to prevent you from filming them. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Well, I'm sure glad we wasted all of our time worrying about this a few months ago. Sources are saying that the Trump administration plan to force the sale of TikTok to a group including Oracle and Walmart has been shelved indefinitely, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Discussions have continued between representatives of ByteDance and U.S. national security officials, the people said. Those discussions have centered on data security and ways to prevent the information TikTok collects on American users from being accessed by the Chinese government, they said. But no imminent decision on how to resolve the issues surrounding TikTok is expected as the Biden administration determines its own response to the potential security risk posed by Chinese tech companies' collection of data. Quote, We plan to develop a comprehensive approach to securing U.S. data that addresses the full range of threats we face, National Security Council spokeswoman Emily Horn said. This includes the risk posed by Chinese apps and other software that operate in the U.S. In the coming months, we expect to review specific cases in light of a comprehensive understanding of the risks we face, end quote. So that definitely sounds like they're kind of sweeping this one under the rug. What I can't figure out from this whole mess is... Was it always Kabuki Theater, at least for the smart money? Like, did everyone that mattered know that this was just going to blow over eventually anyway? And that's why you didn't see big players wanting to touch it with a 10-foot pole. They basically just let the unlikely rubes of Oracle and Walmart step up to play the mark until the jig was up. It certainly seems like that was the case now in retrospect, right? I'm trying to put together a weekend bonus episode with someone smart to talk about this whole idea of if remote work is going to be the new normal or not, if Silicon Valley is dead and all that. But until then, if Salesforce is to be believed, then this is a settled issue because they are literally saying, and I quote, the nine to five workday is dead, end quote, and that after the pandemic, most of their staff will work on a flex schedule, going into the office only about one to three days per week. So, do you think they regret building that giant skyscraper now? Quoting The Verge. In a blog post published Tuesday, the company says the 9-to-5 workday is dead, and that it will allow employees to choose one of three categories that dictate how often, if ever, they return to the office once it's safe to do so. Salesforce will also give employees more freedom to choose what their daily schedules look like. The company joins other tech firms like Facebook and Microsoft that have announced permanent work-from-home policies in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, As we enter a new year, we must continue to go forward with agility, creativity, and a beginner's mind. And that includes how we cultivate our culture. An immersive workspace is no longer limited to a desk in our towers. The 9-to-5 workday is dead, and the employee experience is about more than ping-pong tables and snacks, writes Brent Heider, Salesforce's chief people officer. 
Quote, in our always-on, always-connected world, it no longer makes sense to expect employees to work an eight-hour shift and do their job successfully, Hyder adds. Whether you have a global team to manage across time zones, a project-based role that is busier or slower depending on the season, or simply have to balance personal and professional obligations throughout the day, workers need flexibility to be successful, end quote. Hyder cites picking up young kids from school or caring for sick family members as reasons why an employee should not be expected to report to work on a strict eight-hour shift every day. He also points to how the removal of strict in-office requirements will allow Salesforce to expand its recruitment of new employees beyond expensive urban centers like San Francisco and New York, end quote. So again, that does all sound sensible, delightful even, humane. So why am I still so skeptical it's actually going to turn out that way in the end? Now, I did just yesterday record the episode that will delve into the state of VR and AR, so we'll either release that this weekend or next, but the reason we're poking into this stuff now, as I've said, is because there continues to be smoke around this. Nikkei Asia is reporting that Apple has partnered with TSMC to develop ultra-thin micro-OLED displays for its... Well, this article is calling it their augmented reality devices, but I suppose it makes more sense for a VR device, right? Although, remember, the rumors have been that Apple's first device would be VR acting as AR. Anyway, quoting The Verge, The R&D project is said to be in a trial production stage focusing on displays that are smaller than one inch in size and several years away from commercialization. Apple is also said to be developing micro-LED displays at the same Apple lab in Taiwan. According to Nikkei, the micro-OLED displays in development are able to be so thin and compact because they're built directly onto chip wafers, rather than glass like traditional OLED or LCD screens. News of the project follows reports that Apple has both VR and AR headsets in development. It could release its first VR headset, codenamed N301, as early as next year, while a more lightweight pair of AR glasses, codenamed N421, could follow in 2023. As well as working on micro-OLED, Nikkei reports that Apple is also working on micro-LED display technology at the same secretive lab in Taiwan. These self-emissive panels, which use miniature LEDs to remove the need for a traditional backlight, could eventually end up in devices like the Apple Watch, iPad, and MacBooks. Samsung already sells a micro-LED TV called The Wall, though the technology is a long way from being mainstream or affordable. As a side note, micro-OLED and micro-LED are distinct from mini-LED, which uses an array of LEDs as a backlight behind a more traditional LCD display. Mini-LED technology is already available in TVs from the likes of TCL, and Apple is also reportedly working to bring it to devices like iPads and MacBooks in the not-too-distant future." End quote. And we're probably going to have to get someone smart on for a bonus episode to do an explainer about this. Have you heard of the whole non-fungible token market that is exploding? How there are things like limited edition pieces of art and other collectibles being traded on the blockchain for big, big money. As a quick explainer, I'm going to put a story from Forbes in the show notes about how three limited edition NBA highlight video cards have sold for more than $30,000 on NBA Top Shot, a joint venture between the National Basketball Association, the NBA Players Association, and Dapper Labs. 
which is best known as the creator of CryptoKitties. If none of that makes sense to you, then that's probably because you haven't taken my recommendation to listen to the CoinTalk podcast. But seriously, this NFT market is really getting crazy. Word today that nine plots of land on the blockchain game Axie Infinity were sold for over 888 ETH, or around $1.5 million, thereby setting a new record for the most expensive non-fungible token sale ever, quoting Decrypt. The buyer was an anonymous entity known only as Flying Falcon. While the digital land is worth the same as a high-priced property in a prime location in the real world, Flying Falcon said they see the potential for such digital ecosystems to grow even further. Quote, Axie Land has entertainment value, social value, and economic value in the form of future resource flows, they said. Called the Epic Nine Plot Genesis Estate, the virtual land is a special supply-capped plot with a unique aesthetic and special positioning within the Axie Land system. It's part of an upcoming game mode within Axie Infinity that allows players to build or decorate property, harvest resources, and battle their own digital monsters called axes. Users can virtually train, raise, battle, and even breed their axes with other players. Every such axe has a unique genetic markup, which in turn changes their in-game value, with some of them fetching a huge price on the open market. Players can even rent their property out, earn yields for doing so, and increase the land's value by hosting in-game events like concerts or art galleries. And the recent $1.5 million purchase came as part of just that. Quote, Genesis land plots are the rarest and best position plots in Axie Infinity. They were a natural fit for my thesis, said Flying Falcon in a tweet, end quote. So, buying virtual real estate inside the metaverse? We are straight up now acting out the plot of Snow Crash aren't we? It's just that Neil Stevenson never predicted cryptocurrencies. Or maybe he did. Maybe I'm forgetting. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. 
how do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at one password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepasswordcom slash ride. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. This is from the news you can maybe use department based on the premise that if the numbers I've been seeing are to be believed, then a lot of you listening to me right now now spend your days inside of Microsoft Teams. So maybe it would be useful for you to know that Microsoft has launched two new apps for Teams. The first is Bulletins, where organizations can share news in one place. And the second is Milestones, which tracks the status of work items. Quoting Windows Central, Within bulletins, articles can be organized under categories and include media such as images, videos, and actionable buttons. Publishers of content through bulletin can keep track of different metrics, including how many people have viewed an article. The bulletin's app can be pinned to teams, and people can select categories to customize their view. Microsoft highlights that the bulletin's app is optimized for mobile devices, meaning that important information such as weather alerts and system outages can be viewed on mobile devices when people are in the field. The Milestones app creates a central location for key keeping track of the status and updates of work items. You can track items by owner or status, and updates are tracked in an activity log. Organizations can customize the Milestones app by updating fields labels, adding new fields, or adding changes to process flows, such as adding notifications for work stream owners to keep people up to date." End quote. And from the could-be-useful file, although it could also be from the file of they didn't already do this. I mean, Waze has had this sort of thing forever, right? Apparently, in the iOS 14.5 beta, there are indications that Maps is getting a feature that will let U.S. users report accidents, hazards on the road, and even speed checks along their route using Siri or CarPlay, quoting MacRumors. When you input an address, select a route, and then choose Go, Siri lets you know that you can report accidents or hazards that you see along the way. If you swipe up on the Apple Maps interface where Maps details are available, you can tap on a report button that lets you flag an accident, a hazard, or a speed check similar to other mapping apps like Waze. Tapping automatically flags your location with no confirmation window, so it shouldn't be used except in a valid situation. You can also say, hey Siri, there's an accident, and Siri will send a report to Apple Maps. 
And presumably, if enough people file reports, an accident site will show up in the Maps app through the crowdsourcing. This is available in the United States in a test capacity at the current time, and it's not yet clear if it's also showing up in other countries. This also works in CarPlay, as noted on the Mac Rumors forums by Mozman68, with the reporting interface available on the CarPlay screen, end quote. Finally... To paraphrase the Harvey Keitel scene in Taxi Driver, just because the cops don't look hip, you can't assume they're not hip. Apparently, police officers in Beverly Hills have been playing licensed music while being filmed by citizens. What's this now? Well... It's apparently an attempt at a clever life hack. Big platforms like YouTube or Instagram have those automatic copyright content filters, right? So if you were to play a song, maybe that prevents content from being posted to the socials. Quoting Vice. Senate Devermont was at the department to file a form to obtain body camera footage from an incident in which he received a ticket he felt was unfair. Devermont also happens to be a well-known L.A. area activist who regularly livestreams protests and interactions with the police to his more than 300,000 followers on Instagram. So... He streamed this visit as well, and that's when things got weird. In a video posted to his Instagram account, we see a mostly cordial conversation between Devermont and BHPD Sergeant Billy Fair turn a corner when Fair becomes upset that Devermont is live-streaming the interaction, including showing work contact information for another officer. Fair asks how many people are watching, to which Devermont replies, enough. Fair then stops answering questions, pulls out his phone, and starts silently swiping around, and that's when the ska music starts playing. Fair boosts the volume and continues staring at his phone. For nearly a full minute, Fair is silent and only starts speaking after we're a good way through Sublime's song Santeria, end quote. Okay, so playing Sublime is maybe the most L.A. thing ever, right? Someone remembers the summer of 1996 as well as I do, apparently. Vice goes on to outline to what degree this tactic may or may not work well for the cops. Instagram especially has gotten aggressive about, well, policing copyrighted songs lately. That's definitely true. But as evidenced by the fact that you can watch the videos we're talking about right now on Instagram, then maybe it's not a foolproof tactic. Just last year, Instagram clarified that it tries not to take down incidental music playing in the background so that, you know, you can still post that video of you dancing in the club last night, even if there's a Beyonce song playing in the background. Still, quoting from Vice again, in an archive clip from a live stream shared previously to Vice Media that Devermont has not publicly reposted, but he says was taken weeks ago, another officer can be seen quickly swiping through his phone as Devermont approaches. By the time Devermont is close enough to speak to him, the officer's phone is already blasting In My Life by the Beatles, a group whose rights holders have notoriously sued Apple numerous times. If you want to get someone in trouble for copyright infringement, the Beatles are quite possibly your best bet. As Devermont asks about the music, the officer points the phone at him, asking, do you like it? This would seem to suggest that playing copyrighted music as a deterrent to the First Amendment guaranteed right to openly film police is, if not BHPD official protocol, at least a technique that has been deployed by more than one officer, end quote. 
Ah, yes, the old cat and mouse game again. Protesters take to wearing shirts and masks with designs intended to mess up facial recognition algorithms. The cops take to playing music to try to trigger copyright enforcement algorithms when you record video of them. The cyberpunk future angle to all of this is all sides are just trying to game the true gatekeepers of modern life, the true rules enforcers, the algorithms. As William Gibson once said, the street finds its own uses for technology. I don't know. If you're looking for mid-90s nostalgia, I think Sublime holds up pretty well. You just kind of have to know exactly what you're asking for with Sublime. If you're looking to pretend like you're some mid-90s shirtless, tattooed, blunt-smoking gutter punk, I guess you can't really do better than Sublime. This weekend, my wife and I wanted to watch a movie with the kids that we remembered from our childhood, so we chose Weekend at Bernie's. And I tweeted out that I thought it really kind of holds up, and people thought I was joking, but I wasn't. If you want a movie that's like 100% just reeking of, just encapsulating the year 1989, you can't do better. So if you're in the mood for that, Weekend at Bernie's is the best. Plus, the internal logic of that movie is pretty airtight. I mean, the premise is absurd, of course, but the internal logic of the narrative and thus the humor is pretty unimpeachable because, seriously, movies from the 80s that get way more respect than Weekend at Bernie's absolutely fall apart when you really put them under the microscope. Like a movie from that same year, Roadhouse. Just say the outline of the plot of Roadhouse out loud and see if you can make it make any sense. Anyway second day in a row that I'm getting all old man waves cane on you, but there you go. I just had a birthday last week, so I guess I'm feeling my age right now. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>